Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 338 of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Mrs. USA Earth, an interview with Ann Pennington. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, Ann Pennington is a really cool lady who has won a national pageant championship, and she's using that as a vehicle for her to promote tick and Lyme disease safety. She's a wife, a mom, and somebody who is now living in the Lyme belt. And because she suffered a long-term health battle, which didn't get diagnosed until after she won the state pageant, she has now decided to make Lyme disease awareness and a really cool campaign, Spray Before You Play, her theme for this year as Miss USA Earth. And Rich, how more appropriate than Miss United States Earth to join our podcast just weeks after winning that title and share with us that she wants to use this title and her platform to advocate, raise awareness, and more importantly, share her story like she did on this podcast to give other people hope and inspiration that healing is possible from chronic Lyme disease. Another part of Anne's story that's really interesting is she is newly diagnosed and she is now very early on in her treatment journey. So she's also going to be healing aloud and sharing with the community those steps that she's taking to go through this healing journey. So folks, without further ado, we are really excited to introduce to you Mrs. USA Earth, Anne Pennington. Hey, Anne Pennington, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. So we cannot start this podcast without introducing you to the world, how you're most well-known as Mrs. USA Earth. So talk to us about Mrs. USA Earth and how you ultimately became crowned um, with that title. Thank you. Um, so this is my, I captured my second national title. So congratulations. New Jersey, New Jersey women do it best. Um, I just was crowned on January 7th, Mrs. USA Earth. And so now I have a national title to amplify all my deepest you know, everything that I advocate for. So it has been such a blessing and I'm still kind of in shock. I'm not unpacked yet, but I'm home, boots on the ground and very, very busy and happy to be here and talk about all the things I advocate for now. So talk to us a little bit about that journey. What was that journey like to getting to this national title? Because I know you've been involved in, in pageant work for a long part of your life. And uh, this is sort of a crescendo, this national title. And we're going to talk about how you're using that platform, certainly during the course of this podcast. But give us a little sense of what that journey was like and, and what kind of work you had to do to ultimately gain this national recognition. Definitely. So the organization is Advocation for the Environment women having a voice, getting out there you know, locally, nationally, it gives us an opportunity as a married woman to showcase everything that we are. So I had to win Mrs. New Jersey in June. I had to compete against other like amazing, phenomenal women. Um, and then it led me on to my national journey where I was away in Orlando for a week competing against all 50 states and regional titles. And I was lucky enough that the judges fell in love with me. I captured a crown, a beautiful sash, and now I'm back to work, you know, here in the U.S. and I have many trips abroad, just really advocating for everything and my family. It's been it's been wonderful. I mean, I have a lot of suitcases still to unpack, but it's just really given me an amazing platform. So let's talk about the platform and the kinds of things that you want to focus on. Just again, briefly, because we we want to talk more about your your Lyme journey, but. Of course, as, as Mrs. USA Earth and the important elements of environment, we know that Lyme disease is, of course, one of the first symptoms of, um, you know, of this crisis that we have of uh, climate change and, 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 and global warming. And, and, and um, of course, our community is well aware that uh, the, 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 the breeding window for ticks 
has expanded as a result of, of, of uh, climate change. Uh, and we also know that much larger sections of the world or the earth is now available to ticks or there's habitat that is hospitable to ticks. So that's part of the reason why we have so many challenges with Lyme disease, which of course is, is, is ironic that you are, of course, someone from suffering from Lyme disease and you've been crowned with this um, I guess this this blessing, but also this responsibility to speak on behalf of of, of uh, the environment. So, talk to us a little bit about the irony of you know your Lyme journey and uh, being crowned um, you know Miss USA Earth. So, oh, Richard, that's Mrs. Yeah, Mrs. Um, it's amazing that you say that because I think the whole reason I was on this journey, I hadn't been diagnosed when I won Mrs. New Jersey Earth. So I think it, like you said, it's very ironic. And I think sometimes in life, it puts you in a place where you need to be to understand that. And just how insane, where I was still sick during the pageant, you know, fighting limes and up there really persevering against, you know, everything that you feel. And to come home and to capture that title, I was like, God or whomever you believe in, put me in that space and that place to educate for the environment, educate for limes, educate for everybody. Because we're all share the same space. We all live mother earth we all share the same home and it's so important to you know there's so many aspects of the environment and so many things that we believe in but ultimately you know i'm here because of limes and it gave me a bigger microphone to really speak to you to the community to everyone who may not understand but it gave me a different way to frame it i have a sparkly hat that i get to wear and people listen you know and it gives me an opportunity to go to children and talk to them and i'll talk to you more about what i'm going to do with my plan um but you know the environment's a beautiful place, but also it's a deadly place sometimes. I mean, little things out there, you know, just hiking. And I'm not a super avid, like, hiker or outdoors person. And shocked that a beauty queen of all has been bit more than once, you know. So here I am today. And, um, you know, blessed that I can be speaking and able to wear my sparkly hat and my sparkly, you know, personality as well to really reframe this for everyone. And we want to build on your background a little bit more because it's really interesting, you know, the, the the context of of how you come to this pageant work and this platform. Because in most cases, when we think about people who are doing pageant work, they're generally pretty young, you know, either high school or college students, generally single people. And although they're wonderful, so many of these people and they use their platform so wonderfully, I think it's a little bit different when you have a little bit more experience, when you're older, when you're married, when you have children. So talk to us about, you know, you using the pageant tool, but as a married woman who is also a mom and how that gives you a different perspective and an opportunity to advocate to maybe a different part of the community. Mothers, really important, obviously, because... Um, you know, and we'll talk more about moms in a minute, uh, as, as a married person, as a person who's also juggling, you know, a, a very busy professional life, but also, um, you know, we've seen on your Instagram, you're, you're a mom and you have a, you know, beautiful child. So talk to us about that piece of it as well. Definitely. So pageantry has evolved and there's so many different stigmas around it. You see Miss Universe, you see Miss USA all the time, but you know, there's a big wide array demographic of married women who compete in Mrs. Pageantry. And it's all over, there's different systems. It's like Microsoft, Google, they do the same thing, but there's just different pageants. And um, that's why I chose the Earth Organization because it spoke to me, what I was going through and how I felt and everything I believe in. Um, so as a married woman, yeah, you're in a different space, a different place, a different age group. Um, most of us are you know, far off into our careers. More, most people have children. Um, it's given me the opportunity to have more time on this place in this space, it's Earth, to understand and learn more about myself and where I'm at. So of course my... Um, you know, my talk track for things are completely different than someone in their 20s. 
you know, I've lived 20 more years than them. Um, but it's amazing because I also connect very well with the youth. Um, some of the girls I've connected with at my pageant, we have a miss and the teen became like my daughters to me. And it gave me another place to kind of sneak in there and talk about the things that I believe in. Because um, you have a bigger, wider audience of people who want to listen to you. You know, I'm very involved in my community and nationally and internationally. I've lived all over the world. I was educated in Asia. I'm married to a Brit. So I have family all over. My mother's Swiss. So I have family in, you know, in Europe, um, you know, and I have a big, huge family. I'm the last of 10 children from Las Vegas. Wow. So it's really given me an opportunity to spread my wings, spread that message and show people, you know what, I am a missus and I'm not going to say how old I am, but you know, um, you know, we, we are advocates. We're really hardworking in our community and we have that time in our lives where, you know, we're further in our careers and we have more places and spaces to talk about these things. You know, I'm not in college anymore. I'm not in high school. So I have more opportunity and time to really get out there and make a difference. So pageantry has brought me through so many walks of life, but also gives me such an opportunity from every age level. Cause I go into my son's schools, I go to different schools and to have the opportunity to talk and be part of, you know, everyone from like five years old and to college students. You know, and, and, and you know, Lyme disease is an international crisis. For a long time, it was falsely believed that Lyme disease was an East Coast, uh, you know, and, and we, we often call the East Coast of, of the U.S., which, of course, you're from, you're living in uh, the Lyme Belt. But the truth is that this is an international crisis. And, and it is wonderful that someone like you, who is truly a citizen of the world with all these, you know, contacts all over the world, um, and, of course, uh, as a mom, you now understand how to communicate with children in a way that, quite frankly, people who are not parents do not. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm the first to confess that I thought I can communicate with children until I had them. And it was a very different skill set I had to, to learn in order to be able to, you know, to communicate with my children. So, you know, the diversity of not only your experience, but also the diversity of your background and the, you know, the fact that you, you've been educated around the world, you've lived around the world, you're married to somebody who, who grew up in another country. I mean, that, that has to be a really uh, important piece of the foundation that you're using to communicate to folks when using your platform. Yeah, definitely. So now let's talk about your, your journey, right? Your, your health journey. Talk to us about when you first started to feel ill. And of course, we know you were just recently diagnosed, but talk to us about when you first started to feel ill and, and how you're now reflecting back on how that was the beginning of this long um, diagnostic journey that you were on. So, you know, everything that you said before, you know, ticks are everywhere. And growing up in the West, I didn't even know what a tick was. I'm going to be honest with you. This is how, you know, we don't believe that they're there. And moving to the East um, almost 11, 12 years ago, you know, I didn't really think twice about those little guys out there or, you know, walking around in the woods or in your front yard. Um, I didn't think about when I went hiking. I didn't think about when I went walking for a stroll. Um, I, I treated my dog. That's all I ever knew. You give your dog preventive medicine, call it a day. And um, it's really interesting because I never thought it happens to someone like me. I just didn't think, oh, you have to be an avid like hiker or hunter and like in the woods rolling around. And I thought, not me. So um, as far as feeling sick, I have probably been sick for many, many years. I have two antibodies for the, the line. And who knew? I'm kind of like mind over matter, just keep going. Um, I really believe if you're sick, you just keep moving. I'm like, just keep moving. I was taught that way. My dad was a cowboy. He's like, unless you're bleeding, you just keep moving. So suck it up. Suck it up. And I was like, you know, that's what you do. I'm the last of 10. You, I lived on a farm. Like you just get on with it. 
um, there were some incidents when I was in probably 2016, I was living in New York City, didn't feel so great, tired, some funky things going on. I thought, no, this is, you know, I had just lost someone special to me. I thought, okay, it's anxiety or I'm just sad or I'm depressed and I'll get on with it. I'll get on with it. And I did. I did. Felt really weird and off, just completely off. I can't even explain. I don't think there's a word to explain how weird you feel. And just, I just kept going with it. I went to the doctor. She's like, oh, you're probably just suffering a little bit from losing someone close to you. You know, that was it. And I just kept on moving forward. Um, and then fast track to now where I'm at now. So a year and a half ago, I felt awful. And I mean, like I said, there's not a word for how terrible you feel. Um, lethargic, you know, um, your body just doesn't feel like your body. Your mind doesn't feel like your mind. Everything about you just feels off. And I thought, you know what? I lost my dad just recently. Um, it has to be the same thing. Maybe anxiety, maybe slightly depression, maybe it's shock, maybe it's, you know, losing a loved one. And it brings out all these things. Fast forward, it didn't go away. Um, couldn't sleep at night, hair started falling out, eyesight started blurring, um, eyes were really dry, tingling of the hands. I had gone to the doctor dozens of times to be just referred to someone else, um, from everything from my kidneys to, you know, um, to many multiple scans of my bladder, all these different things. My blood pressure had gone up. I had lost about 30 pounds and no one said anything to me, but it's just anxiety take some pills. And I said, well, I don't really take pills because I don't feel like I'm really anxious. Something's going on. And I, I, I'll probably say this the rest of my life. Listen to your body. Don't listen to anybody else. Um, and I was scared, very scared. So let's pause there for a second. I want to walk back a little bit to the um, your move from the West to the East Coast. Um, now, did you move to New Jersey initially or were you living in New York when you first came here? What was that 11 year, 11 uh, year ago trip? So I went from Las Vegas to Hong Kong. I went to school in Hong Kong, got married, moved to New York City, had my son and lived in New York City for about 11 years. And I'm between New York and New, um, between New Jersey and New York City, but I had a house always in New Jersey. So I did back and forth. So okay. where- so let me ask you this. So when you were coming to the East Coast, right, you know, like one of the things that we always think about is, you know, like if I if I were to go to Florida, I'd be concerned about alligators or crocodiles, or whatever they have down there. But I would want I'd certainly want to be careful not to find myself in a position where I would come in contact with that kind of an environmental threat. And, you know, in Florida, I know they have snakes, right? When, uh, you know, if I were to if I were to go to Maine, I'd want to avoid the moose, right? They're big animals, they're aggressive. We know, you know, it, it will not go well if you come in contact with a moose, right? Um, when you were coming to the East Coast, were you concerned about ticks? I mean, is there something that was even on your radar? I know you didn't know anything about ticks during your childhood or your early life, but were you even aware that this is something you should be concerned about in the way that I'm concerned about, you know, the crocodiles and alligators in Florida or the, the moose that I would be concerned about in Maine? Richard, absolutely 0%. You know, and I said this before, like I just didn't think it happened to people who just casually walked, you know, through maybe Long Island or New Jersey. I just didn't think it was real. I wasn't educated on it. And I hate to say this, it sounds so awful. And, but I just, you know, and it, to this day, when I talk to other people, they look at me like I'm crazy that they can believe that a little thing like this can literally do all kinds of crazy things and, and hurt you. Yeah, and I, I mean, 
And then the little thing is so small that you can't even see it, yes. right? I mean, like, you know, we can't even like, it, it is so small, it's the size of a poppy seed and we can't see it. And the other part of this, of course, which is important to focus on is a lot of people, even when they do come, you know, to the East Coast and, um, and they are aware that Lyme disease is something that they should be concerned about. They think it's only if you go hiking, whereas it turns out the overwhelming majority, it's up to about 80% of the people who, who uh, contract Lyme disease through a tick bite, get bit by a tick, either in their backyard or in their house that's brought in by a pet. So, you know, even if you were aware of this, if you were just sort of keeping yourself away from being an outdoorsy gal and going hiking, you still would actually um, be more likely to get sick from this disease, not only from something so small you can't see, but it would be in your backyard or in your house if you had pets. So, um, uh, and, and, I, and I'm assuming you, you, you're now aware of that, but that's kind of a scary thing that, you know, you have this, you know, this lurking threat that can make you very, very sick. And um, either you're not aware of it, but if you are aware of it, you don't have enough information to keep yourself safe from this growing threat. Richard, it, there's nothing. No one talks about it. Um, I live in a highly densely population of, you know, deers and woods and everything that the tick loves. I mean, literally my front yard is like, they probably are all around and not, not even a clue, not even on a, you know, I do research, I read, I'm, you know, very aware of things. And this is something that was 0% on my radar. So now let's talk about the, um, you know, the, the developing symptoms and the doctors you went to see, because you said you went to a whole bunch of doctors with all kinds of symptoms and, um, and no one knew what was, was going on. But you also, as you went to the doctors, you did share with them that you did have an immune disrupting event, that you lost someone very close to you, that that was very stressful. And you were letting the doctors know that and they were just sort of like using that as a diagnostic tool rather than rather than uh, using that as sort of a symptom of a larger problem they should be looking at. And, and I just, I, I'm just wondering first what your reaction is, why you know, none of the doctors saw this as an immune disrupting event and then tried to figure out how that could be presenting itself rather than using that as the sort of final diagnosis. So, you know, it's, it's hard, right? It's disheartening when you go in. Cause firstly, yes, I was very upset. I lost my father. Um, and before that I lost somebody else. I'm special sorry. To me. I'm sorry. Thank you. And so you go in and you're, you're emotional and they think firstly, of course, you know, your blood pressure went up because of this. And I thought my blood pressure is crazy high. Never had it I'm very healthy or was and um very active i eat well i don't drink i thought you know this is insane my heartbeat was really rapid and i was like this is all because of anxiety and it went on and on and on for months so just sitting across from your doctor talking about you know i've lost 30 pounds i'm almost 5 11 and to lose 30 pounds i looked like a walking skeleton and i just couldn't keep food i was having gi issues and they said it's all because of anxiety it's stress it's when you you know and i i didn't doubt that for a minute because yes you lose someone special to you but it got worse. It wasn't kind of subsiding. It was getting worse. Um, I went back multiple times to the doctor and then that's when they started just referring me to someone else. You know, um, let's send you to a GI doctor who told me I was just old and that I'd be fine. Who didn't even look at me, patted me on the shoulder and literally told me this is what happens when you turn this age. Okay. I waited three months to see him. Finally went into another GI doctor. She said, this is very common. Um, you know, a lot of people get acid reflux. Here's some medicine. You'll be fine. And I said, well, no, there's some other stuff going on. My GI issues are, this is not normal. 
So I became very scared. Maybe I had cancer. You know, you start doing your own research. You start looking up things. You start listening to your body. You start writing things down. And I became extremely scared that I had, you know, maybe bowel cancer or maybe I had esophagus cancer or something of this nature. I mean, when your hair falls out and you lose a lot of weight, you start to get really concerned. Um, so I kept pushing. I kept pushing. I said, something's not right. I'm having pain. I'm having all these different, you know, everything's kind of coming out and I don't feel normal. And this is not, this is not anxiety anymore. If this is what you guys are calling it. Um, and the same thing, they sent me to a oncologist, hematologist, and they do lots and lots and lots and lots of blood work, panels and panels of blood work. Um, I've never seen sheets this thick of from genetic testing to you name it. They, they ran it for me. I had been sent for more x-rays and CTs than I think anybody should still nothing. They couldn't figure anything out. Um, so they were looking for cancer ultimately is, you know, your white blood counts kind of funky. Your blood works kind of funky. You're feeling funky. Um, you probably have leukemia or something. Okay. So now I'm completely stressed out if I wasn't before, um, still losing weight. My hair was falling out. Um, and my eyesight started getting wonky and that's when the tingling started. I have tingling of the feet, tingling of the hands, couldn't sleep at night, sweats. Um, but I never had a tick bite on me, no bullseye rash and nothing immediately when I was infected. So I don't know when, how, where. Fast forward, they sent me to an autoimmune doctor who said the same thing. This is what happens when you turn this age, things fall apart. Okay. So I said, should you take me upstate and like put me out of my misery or like are you going to help me? So he said, you know, I did a documentary. I was on TV about when you turn, I'm going to say 40. And this is what happens when you turn 40. And your hair falls out? No, your hair doesn't fall out when you turn 40. You lose 30 pounds? No, your hair doesn't, this doesn't happen. You don't lose the weight. And I'm starting to have kind of like rashes and whatnot. Um, so he just told me, I said, something's just not, they took more blood, more blood, more blood. I said, I don't know how much more blood you're going to take. So it was my sister who said, Anne, you sound like an ex-boyfriend I had who was grew up in Wisconsin, who has chronics, chronic Lyme. And I said, really? She said, ask him for the test. So I was there and I said, did you ever do the test for Lyme? Oh, you know, they went through all the, the paperwork. No, the one, I mean, you've taken every other test you could imagine. Calls me on the phone this September, I'm sorry, September, 2022. And this, my, more hair fell out. My eyesight was going really, really off. Um, could hardly walk down the street, let alone remember your name. But I just kept going. I just tried to function the best. I, I started writing a lot of notes um, and just pretended to be present. Calls me on the phone and says, yes, you have Lyme. I'm going to send over an antibiotic. Go pick it up. Okay. Let's pause there because that's a really important, that's a really important development. And I have a few things I want to explore with you before Matt starts taking you through uh, your diagnostic and treatment journey or the next okay. step of your diagnostic journey. So, so one of the things that uh, Phyllis Bedford, who is the founder of the Lyme Life Foundation, um, often is quoted as saying is Lyme disease is a supermarket diagnostic disease. That more times than not, people are diagnosed in the supermarket when they run into a friend or a family member rather than from a doctor. And you're a, you're a very articulate, very well-educated very successful person who should not be ignored by doctors. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but it wasn't any of the doctors that you were going to who couldn't diagnose you with anything that decided that you should take a Lyme disease test. Again, even though you're living on the 
East Coast in the Lime Belt, it was your sister who had said to you, you know, you sound a lot like an ex-boyfriend. You sound what we often hear in the community as limey. Why don't you go get a Lyme disease test? And that's how you ultimately get your diagnosis. I mean, that just blows my mind. I, yeah. You know, give me your reaction to that piece of it, that, that this was, you know, a familial diagnosis and that a family member could, could um, recognize the disease even though she's not a doctor and all of your doctors couldn't come up with a diagnosis. Rich, I think what the hardest thing for me was I would paint the story. I believe in storytelling so that, because your body is affected, it's all of it. It's not just one piece, right? We're all, it's all connected. It's like a computer system. Something was not working and the whole diagnostic needed to be tested. So when he kept on telling me you're 40, you know, blah, 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 things happen. And I'm looking at him. You don't go from function hundred percent. I could run a marathon to the next day, hardly walking down the street in New York city. You don't go from being 39 to 40 and, and like your life drastically falls apart. And I'm trying to paint the picture and he goes, I don't want to hear that. Okay. You don't want to hear that. All right, fine. I'm trying to tell you so we can figure out. And I told him I live in New Jersey on a wooded property. And I told him this, I moved from New York. I was trying to paint a picture. Do you think it's mold? Like I'm thinking it's something else, right? I'm thinking it's bad water. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, please just help me, right? So when I tell him to please test me, and it's my sister, you know, they do the tests and he looks on his notes and I'm like, you don't even read your notes. How would you, I mean, like, where are we at? You've, I, my insurance has paid, I don't even know how much money to have blood work week after week done to see their practice, their fees. And these are very, very high sought after doctors in New York City that people wait months and months to get into because they're supposed to be the best at their profession. So when he called me on the phone and told me this, and I'm like, well, can you tell me more? He really didn't say anything. I don't, I didn't know there was different strands. I really had no idea that those little things carry different things that can affect you. Up to 200 different microbes, each one. I of mean, so first I'm, my, I'm foggy and not feeling great. So I'm kind of like, what? And I'm like, oh great. This magical pill that he's su subscribed to me is going to make me better. Right, so before you before you go there, uh, mm -hmm. because Matt's going to take what I want to talk to you a little bit about um, doctors and mm -hmm. doctors' mindset. Right? Uh, we've heard a lot of different biases that interfere with a doctor's capacity to see what's in front of him or her or them. Right? We've we, we've had guests come onto this podcast and say because I'm a person of color. The doctor came in with a particular mindset and couldn't see what was there. Because I was a woman, the doctor couldn't see what was there. And now you're giving us another piece of this, which is it appears that because you were you were turning over the calendar and you're becoming 40 years old, that your age was actually coloring their capacity or their cognitive ability to see what was before them. So build that out for me. Do you think, do you think it was? It was your gender? Do you think it was your age? Do you think it was your appearance? Or do you think it was a combination of all that that had all these doctors in a position where their cognitive capacities were limited and they couldn't see what was right before them in the same way that your sister, a layperson, could? So it's interesting you say that because when I waited for my three-month appointment to go see the GI doctor at a very sought after, one of the best hospitals in the United States, and I walked into his room, he looked at me as you do. And he made a visual assumption, you know, that she looks fine because I saw his notes and I saw that what he wrote on his notes was, you know, 
that I was aware and I was able to communicate and that I was fine. So did he think because I could put on makeup and put on nice clothes and get dressed and walk into an office, even though inside I'm like literally fighting every moment of not feeling good. And I was thinking, you know, if I showed up not looking well, not with makeup, you know, a little disheveled, would he taken me, you know, his approach differently to me? I got a pat on the shoulder and said, I would be fine. That was the beginning. When I left there, I called my husband and he literally had told me I was also old. And I told my husband, what is old exactly? My dad was almost 90 and like could run, you know, circles around some 15 year olds. To me, it's, that's ridiculous and so not professional. So I made a complaint to my doctor and said, you sent me to someone who's very incompetent and shouldn't be in that position. You don't pat someone on the shoulder, tell them because you just are turning 40 that it's falling apart. So that was my first encounter with being told that and being seen this way. So I told my mother, told my family, no one's hearing me. No one's listening because I am, I look okay. I can still put myself together the best I can because I want to present myself the way that I want to feel. And that's not fair. And that went round two, being put into an autoimmune doctor who's also very sought after, one of the best if you look him up. And literally he looked at me like, you look fine. You know, without much saying so that you just happen to be turning 40. And he said, I did a whole segment on TV about what happens when you turn 40. And I looked at him and said, honey, that might be my age, but let me tell you what I do, what I used to do from every single day. You don't just, that doesn't happen. You don't just stop running circles around people. And like, I am very active and I'm very, very high energy. And it says, I don't go from like having to lay in bed to barely making it across the room. It doesn't happen overnight like that. Something is wrong. So even though you're as articulate as you are and you're as passionate as you are and you're describing through your storytelling this contrast between somebody who is rigorous and feisty and hardworking and successful to now being incapable of walking across a street, because you had a chronological age and you made a good appearance because you wanted to present yourself the way you wanted to present yourself, they could literally couldn't see what was right before. No, I mean, he kind of looked at me like almost not believing, you know, when you just feel like you're not listening to me. It's almost like I should have been behind a sheet telling the story. I was like, maybe we'll get a better, like, you know, maybe he'd listen more. Maybe he'd look for more diagnosis, you know, but what was really interesting is when I had to visit him more than once, he had a friend in Long Island who had been bit more than once. And he goes, I don't go visit him. But when I said, you know, I think I have chronic Lyme, he goes, that doesn't even exist. But yet he won't go to visit a friend who's, you know, in Long Island because his friend had been bit. I'm like, you know that this is real and you're telling me that it's almost not real. And that was heartbreaking. So, and Matt is going to talk to you about that experience and, and, and the invalidating uh, and gaslighting experiences that are unfortunately a part of the Lyme disease journey. But let me ask you one more question before I let Matt take you forward with uh, the steps you took after you received your diagnosis and how you felt after you did receive a diagnosis. And that is, do you have any recommendations to offer to young people or new people who are not feeling well, may have Lyme disease, and how should they present themselves to their doctors so that they can help their doctors 
to see them rather and hear them because you said you weren't heard either, right? So the, the doctor's senses were not hearing and seeing what was right before them. And we do know that mindset controls cognition and they their cognitive functions were not allowing them to receive the information. Is there something we can do when we go to see doctors that maybe would be different than what you had done that could help us to help the doctors to see us for who we are and see the symptoms and hear the symptomology so that maybe they could get us to a diagnosis in ways that they're failing us now? You know, I, I, I think I ask myself this a lot. If I could, you know, go back and speed up the time before and know what to really say. Because I think sometimes when you get in there, they drive the conversation to, no, you, you sound like you have anxiety. It's really, you know, I wrote everything down now to be like, no. And I actually got really feisty the last time because I said, listen, this is my life and it's disrupting my ability to care for my child. I cannot go to work. I can't be the best wife I can be. And I can't be the best person for my family. Something is wrong and you need to hear me. And that's where I left it with him is that God forbid one of your family members or yourself is in this position. You need someone to listen to you. And I said, you know, have compassion. You're a doctor. And, you know, I don't want to be so dramatic and so, but I understand they're busy. They have lots of patients. There's a lot going on. And I feel for them too in their industry. It's not easy. And they're not, you know, magicians. They, they don't know everything. And I, and I understand that. But when you're going to someone of this level who is in that position to be sought after and to be voted the best in New York Times or whatever magazines that he was in, I'm sorry, you need to be that person for me. And it's just taking the time to listen. So I asked very kindly and very politely to just hear me, to hear me. I want to paint you the picture and I don't want to be overdramatic. And I don't want to take up all your time, but I'm here because I need help. And that's kind of where I left my last doctor because she was so tired of seeing me that she almost rolled her eyes and like gave me a huff of like, now what? And I said, listen, Dr. X, you would be in the same position if your daughter, your, your husband, your son was in here listening. Somebody else is going in for healthcare advice. I know you're busy. I know there's 12 other patients waiting for you, but I also need you, you know? And it's hard because it makes me emotional because it's something you can't see and being a silent hurting is awful. So it's just, it's just really telling them to listen to you or if they can't, maybe they know someone who can't. I, I, re oh, I really like your idea of saying to make it personal, right? What would you do if I were your daughter? I think that's a really good comment to make to a doctor who's dismissing you, huffing and puffing at you. I think another important observation is this is not just the progression of age. I mean, also 40 is not old, let's be real. But the progression of age is not something like where you're running marathons and then you can't walk down the stairs, or you can't walk down the block. That aggressive of a transformation of your health is not just normal age progression. And that's another noteworthy item that your doctors fail to recognize, right? And just because you look good doesn't mean you feel horrible on the inside. And we've heard this on this podcast hundreds of, of times from our hundreds of podcast guests that I would go and I'd put makeup on, I'd look good. It would kill me to do that. And they'll say, well, you look fine. And Lyme is known as an invisible illness. And that's another piece that I think doctors have to be aware of and more um, you know, front of mind when they're looking at patients that have chronic tick-borne symptoms like Lyme disease, right? So I think everything you just said is really good advice to help people interact with their doctors in the early stages to get the proper testing, recognition, and consideration they need for a diagnosis. But I do want to back up even more, right? Because you kind of laid this out for us really well with Rich, but you said you were sick for years, but about a year and a half ago is when you started to get really sick. And then it progressed, obviously, up until your diagnosis, which was this past September of 2022. Now, 
And talk to us about the symptoms that started to progress a year and a half ago that were more severe. We want to get into more detail about exactly what your symptoms were so people listening can, can identify to these symptoms. And if they're thinking they might have Lyme, associate with these symptoms and maybe go and talk to their doctors about your story and the similarities between your story and their story. So Matt, um, it was really hard because sometimes you just felt tired and you think, okay, great. I do a lot. I'm just tired. Um, but it's really being in focus with your body and kind of asking yourself every morning, you know, kind of like doing an overall check. So now every day I, I kind of get up and I'm like, okay, do I feel hundred percent? I feel 75%, you know, what is it? And I know we run, run, run. Cause we're, that's what we do in this, you know, day and age is we're all over the place. If you're a mother, you're, you know, or a father and you have your children or going to work, sometimes we overlook our health and health is all we have. And I realized like this space for me has created a silver lining, um, but it's your wealth. And you kind of have to do an overall, am I okay? Check every day. And note things that are progressing a little bit worse. Um, like where my knee was starting to hurt, where I never had knee pain, but they also said that was because you're turning 40. Um, so, you know, I knew nothing about Lyme, didn't know any of the symptoms. And when you look it up on the internet, very basic, not a lot of information, a little bit overwhelming too, once I got diagnosed, because there's so much different things out there. But for me, it was being restless, my heart populate, you know, populating, um, being kind of sweaty, uh, unable to focus was the biggest one for me. Very, very foggy and lethargic. And my personality was a little bit off and I didn't really recognize the symptoms because like I said, most people just keep going in life and little things don't slow you down because it wasn't that debilitating where I was like vomiting or, you know, high fevers or any of that nature. It was very small and subtle. And I think that's why it took so long because I discounted myself for just being tired and running around. Um, so I always tell people, and even a lot of the women in my community who they say they're not feeling great and they're kind of giving me these symptoms. And I'm like, ooh, you may want to get a test. And it's just being aware that it's here. It's everywhere. These little things don't die. Um, it's protecting your property, protecting your children and protecting yourself. So really the best advice I give to people is, you know what, you live on the Northeast. It's very prevalent here. When you go get your normal year checkup, why not just get the, the test? If you didn't have to pay out of pocket, it's really not that much. And it kind of gives you a, you know, a peace of mind. And now that's my biggest thing step forward is I have a plan for my community. And hopefully that takes off nationally because it's so important because I talk to a lot of parents and they look at me like I'm a little bit nuts that I'm like, your kid, if they come over, I have to spray them to play in my yard. This is a rule in my house. But for people just not sure that they may if you live in an area and you go outside your area and you have pets i don't care where you're at you go every year for a checkup or you should just get the test it's very simple it's very you know doable to keep checking yourself and being aware of you know i don't feel 100 why not and then if things change that are uniquely like tingling hair eyes skin that was like a big thing that i discounted was you know i was having rashes and i didn't think anything of it i thought you know what it's environment Oh, it's stress. It's the chemicals I use. You know, it's just really, I hate to say this, but you know, you really have to advocate for yourself because you're the only person who knows your body and you're the only person who can do anything about it. And what kind of issues are you having with your eyes? So I started, I guess a year ago, um, blurriness. I had a little bit of blurriness and that was another thing, which the eye doctor and they told me the same thing. When you turn 40, your eyes go, you start to not be able to see. And I could see like a hawk up close. You could give me 
probably one of those poppy sized ticks and I could see it because my eyesight was, my mom always said, oh, Anne can read anything, give it to her. Um, I can look at the quality of a diamond. I've worked in jewelry before and I can tell you if it has any flaws because that's how good my eyesight was. Same thing, they're like, oh, it's progressively changing. And I thought that quickly, they're like, well, this is what happens when you turn 40. I thought, okay, so I believe what professionals tell me because you're educated. I didn't go to school to be an optometrist. You know, what so is a switch? Like, okay, you turn 40 and something goes off and now you lose your vision and you can't walk and you lose your hair and you have insomnia and you get tingling. I mean, all these things are not normal, right? I mean, it's just blowing my mind that doctors are attributing everything to your age and, oh, you look good and, oh, you seem okay. You must be fine, right? I, I, it just blows my mind, but I just want to recap real quick, if you don't mind, because you mentioned earlier that your your body and mind had changed, right? And then some of your symptoms for people to be on the lookout for that, you know, Lyme has over 300 symptoms, Lyme disease. So you had many, you had hair loss, weight loss, blurry vision, tingling in your hands and feet, insomnia. You said you had night sweats, you had rashes, knee pain, heart palpitations, brain fog, fatigue. Your personality felt a little bit off, right? I mean, is this is there anything else that we're missing just to kind of recap and, and uh, move on from the symptomology side before we get into the testing discussion? No, I mean, I just remember I would be speaking to someone and just calling them the wrong name and they'd be right in front of me. And I had my husband, I sent him to go pick up a child who wasn't even invited to a party that I thought he was invited to. And I said, oh, you got to go pick up this kid, take him to someone's party. My husband showed up at a house, put the kid in his car and they're like, where are you? He's not invited. And I was like, oh my God, something is wrong. And that's where I got, I got actually really scared. I was like, oh my God, maybe I have dementia. Like I literally thought I was going to possibly like, you know, one day to wake up and not know where I was. And that's how scared I became so scared at night because my husband looked at me too, like you look fine, but I had to write things down and I really became really scared of myself. And, you know, I was like, oh my God, am I going to like hurt someone or accidentally like forget someone or, or, you know, just really scared. And that for me was like, oof, you've got to figure out what's going on. And I didn't stop advocating, even as crappy as I felt, I argued to insurances to get more tests. I argued on the phone to get more appointments. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't not be okay. I have a kid. And then every symptom you're describing is one that we have heard and is documented as a symptom of Lyme disease, right? Including dementia. I mean, if people want to really geek out, we had an interview with Dr. Alan McDonald, who is doing the work. He's a pathologist. He's studying uh, brain tissues. And he's proven that dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that are connected and triggered by Lyme disease, right? So now these studies are coming out and they're becoming more commonplace. But it's important to note. And, and people get scared and we're not trying to make people afraid but the sooner you know you have Lyme, the sooner you can treat, the better off you're going to be, and the sooner you can start to get your health back, right? And you, so to your point of advocating for your health, fighting for yourself, and not giving up until you have answers, it's a really important part of the journey you're describing. So, you know, I, I want to touch on testing as well, because you so, you know, brilliantly talked about, you know, everybody should get tested. It should be part of our annual, especially, look, we, you live in New York and New Jersey. We're in New York, right? I mean, all, all three of us. You should be getting tested every year. I get tested every year, at least once a year. In fact, I got caught with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever and Lyme. I got reinfected. I didn't even know it from just, you know, testing every year. Never got symptoms, treated, and I was fine. We have been getting a lot of feedback lately on social media that we heavily talk about these specialty labs that are quite expensive, like Igenix and DNA Connections. But in your case, it sounds like you just had like a lab core, you know, standardized test and got and you tested positive, right? I myself, my own experience, I was at the hospital after a seizure. They ran because of my mother's insistence and her bringing Lyme to the table. They tested me with a Western blot and Eliza, and I tested positive. So I think you're right. If you have insurance, you're going to the doctor, you're doing a checkup, 
demand to get a full tick-borne disease panel and you can get ahead of it and not get as sick as you did and or I did, right? And that's a really important note there from a testing standpoint. So the other note I want to touch on is the doctor who told you chronic Lyme isn't real. Was this your, was this your autoimmune doctor? Mm-hmm. Yes. And he had a friend who had chronic Lyme that he no longer would even visit or socialize with because he had chronic Lyme right on Long Island. And he's a doctor out of New York City, correct? Correct. So do you think that he truly believed in chronic Lyme disease, but didn't want to address it because of how politically toxic the, the topic is? Or do you think that he had this sort of cognitive dissonance where he truly thought he didn't understand he, that it wasn't real, but he didn't know how to he didn't know how to really relate to his friend that was sick, right? Where do you think his head was at, you know? It's funny that you say that because I, I talk through all my doctor visits with my husband so I can hear what it sounded like in my visit, what they said to me. I usually make notes now because I'm because you have to advocate for yourself. And I that was when I started to see that, you know what, they're only hearing so much. And I understand that we're only human, right? So I'm communicating, you're taking in parts of it, maybe not the whole story because we can only absorb so much. And I thought, let me write some notes down. And when I wrote out his story that he knew that his friend had been infected and this guy won't go visit his beautiful home in the Hamptons, I thought, you know, it's real. You told me it's real without saying it's real. So you won't visit this beautiful home in Long Island in the Hamptons because he has long grass and this guy, your friend. And then also the doctor told me how to keep my property safe. So he knows that there's products out there because I didn't even know that there's these tick sticks that you can put on your property. And I thought, interesting. So you do know, but you either don't want to say, or there's something else going on, which is very bizarre. So I called him out and said, listen, I'm chronic, ill, and it has to be the line. End of story. So maybe he doesn't want to say for other reasons, because I didn't realize how much Lyme disease is, you know, a little controversial and all these other things. I didn't know that you couldn't go to a Lyme doctor without having to pay out of pocket. I didn't know that until just recently, because I'm still on my journey of getting better and navigating the treatments. And I was shocked that you can't go to somebody and be like, hi, I need your specialty without having to pay out of pocket. And we've come a long way. I mean, honestly, 10 years ago, it was even worse. So I I have hope for the future. And I think we've come a long way just in, in a short period of time with doctors recognizing these things you know, large, largely in part to these legitimate medical institutes and universities doing studies that prove the persistence of Lyme. I mean, we have a, a, a reference page on our website called Chronic Lyme is Real, and it lists over 300 scientifically backed studies that prove Borrelia burgdorferi, the Lyme bacteria, persists in your body beyond antibiotic therapy, right? So how can you fight that as, an, as a doctor? And some still are, right? I mean, as you know, some are, but the proof is out there. If people want to go look at that evidence, it's out there and it exists. So I mean, I have to ask this question, but I'm hoping, and I'm hoping the answer is is no. Did you treat with this doctor who told you chronic Lyme isn't real once you tested positive for Lyme, thanks to your sister telling you her ex-boyfriend had chronic Lyme? So he sent the uh, doxycycline to the pharmacy, and yep. I took it because I was like, okay. And I, I read what it did. So I how, how long did he, the, the doxycycline, how long did he prescribe it for? Three weeks, three weeks. Okay. So I looked it up what it did before I, I took anything. I'm not just going to pop anything. Um, so I decided to see what it treats, what it was. And then I started reading about Lyme because I thought, okay, this is what I have. What is it exactly? And, you know, the CDC says one thing, and there's a lot of people out there who say a different thing. And you start going down the rabbit hole of, oh my gosh. But then I started talking to people and that's where I found the information. It wasn't from the internet. It wasn't from this doctor. It was people sitting at tables with me 
and being like, my sister has it. My cousin has it. My mom has it. I was like, oh my God, this room has it. And I was like, my mind was blown. Like, absolutely. I was literally at the table and my mouth, I think hit the floor because at, there was 12 of us at a table and seven people knew someone who had it. Isn't that mind blowing? You can't go somewhere, especially in New York and not talk to somebody who hasn't been impacted by chronic Lyme in some shape or form, right? Whether personally or somebody they know, you know, personally, and yet doctors still won't admit it's real. And these people are suffering long-term and not getting the help they need. I mean, it's just hearing this is just making, is making my blood boil, right? So you did the research on doxycycline, you're talking to people. Thankfully, you're, you're vocal because it is a controversial disease. Thankfully, you're confident enough to discuss what's going on and you're getting the truth and valid feedback from people socially in your circle, right? So do you decide to take doxycycline or do you go another route? No, so I, I decided to take it. I looked at, you know, what it could possibly, the side effects. Um, and, you know, I didn't realize that I had two antibodies. So obviously a long time ago, I've been infected. I don't know how long ago I was infected with the first. And, you know, I was so foggy and disrupted in my life that I was like, I will take the doxycycline and I need to figure out also another avenue of healthcare. So I took doxycycline, which made life really insane for a few weeks because it's, it does a lot of things to you when you take it. Um, the aftermath was not pretty. Um, can you, sorry, I need to interrupt. Can you get, so can we describe both? Can you describe the disaster that it created while you were taking it and then the aftermath as well? Because we know it's hard on your stomach and there's no, there's no such thing as too much information here on the Take Bootcamp okay. podcast. So you can be very honest about what it did to you while you were taking it and how it affected your body. So I guess, A, did you feel any better from your symptoms while taking it? And B, what were the side effects that maybe caused some discomfort while you were on it? So when I first started taking it, fine, first couple of days, there was no um, issues. And then towards, I think maybe like the further into the week, I became worse. I mean, really off balance, um, really sweaty. I began to have rash up and down my body. Um, the rash actually moved to my face. I was afraid to go. I didn't go outside. I was so embarrassed and depressed and very sad because, you know, you want to feel better and this is what you do, but you also can't engage with friends. So I kept on um, saying, you know, I couldn't go out. I was always too tired. It, it made me feel worse. My brain felt like it was swollen, like front lobal, just like pushing against my head. Um, it became really, really just, I think it brought out all the worst symptoms. And then my knee is when I started getting the knee pain, the joint pain. And then towards the end of it, it just left like rashes, I guess, week after, two weeks after they had spread just everywhere. I mean, it kind of looks a little bit like I told my mom, I look like a monster. Can I ask, and because, you know, rashes, did anybody talk to you about, about Herxheimer reactions or detox rashes throughout this process? No. And, and this is something that I wish I knew as, you know, as well, because I experienced the same things. When you're treating Lyme disease, especially with a strong, broad spectrum antibiotic like doxycycline, you're going to have what's called a Herxheimer reaction. And this is back in most 99.9% .9 of doctors, you know, accept this and will will share it if you ask them about it, but they don't openly tell you without you asking. It's when you treat Lyme disease, you're going to feel worse before you feel better because as you're killing off the bacteria, it's creating this toxic die off. When Lyme dies in your body, when the bacteria dies, it becomes toxic and it makes your body toxic and you become inflamed and your symptoms flare while the massive die-off is occurring before your body can purge it and detox it out of your body, whether it's through your sweat, through your pee, through your poop, whatever it is, right? So that's the first part that I wish your doctor would have shared with you. And the second part is I had, I when I was reinfected with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever and Lyme, 
same thing. I had rashes all over my body and they turned out to be detox rashes. And I had, I mean, I have documented photos that I had to share with my doctor to be sure they weren't, they weren't um, allergic reactions and they weren't, they were detox rashes because the die off was so heavy. I couldn't get rid of the die off quick enough. And they were coming out of my skin. It was coming out of my skin. Essentially I was getting these rashes of clogged of clogness. Right. So I think that can be really scary. And unfortunately, you weren't properly educated to, to know that that could be happening. And it was probably a really scary experience. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. So I didn't, don't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to share that with you while you're kind of going through your experience here. Well, thank you. Yeah, because I mean, as you do more research and you realize, like speaking to somebody else, you start to learn like, you know, so many different things. Like I've never been so educated on blood work in my life. I can tell you everything that you need to know. Uh and it's, it's everything's for a purpose, everything purpose for life. Like you have to be positive about this because um, your diagnosis could be so much worse. It could be a death sentence, right? So it gives me the opportunity to, you know, firstly learn about my body. Secondly, learn about, you know, things you can do in a different matter um, to take care of yourself mentally and physically. Um, and it's given me an opportunity to look into medicine like holistically that I probably would have never really done before. And that's a journey that I'm on like currently. Um, but just having a voice, because I didn't realize like, I could go in my yard and get infected. I mean, I know it sounds really ignorant and stupid, but I was like, no, why would they live in my yard? And now this is like, I have so many children in my neighborhood that play at my house every day. I have a like a household boys every day rolling around, they're dirty, their shoes. And I'm like, I need to protect all of you. And it's really now, this is the, the journey that I'm on. So when you finish the three weeks, and again, I'm sure you know this now, but the fact that you mentioned that you were sweaty, had rashes, and you were off balance. We talked about the rashes being probably detox rashes. The off balance part is indicative of neurological Lyme, right? Because a lot of things you described indicate neurological Lyme. The brain fog, the mood changes, the, you know, a lot of those things, the personality changes. That, that, that's indicative that the Lyme bacteria crossed the blood-brain barrier and got into your brain, which is very common. It happened to me, and it sounds scary, but it can be treated. You can, you can feel better, right? And I want to put that out there for everybody listening. But- your doctor should have realized that, you know, three weeks of an oral antibiotic is not an effective treatment for neurological Lyme disease. Doxycycline is not good at breaking the blood-brain barrier. Never mind three weeks of an oral antibiotic is not sufficient enough to break the blood-brain barrier to get to the deepness of how deep the Lyme is in your body, right? So the other note I want to throw out there, and you may, may or may not have heard this yet from your, your social circle, is that the night sweats and the sweaty bouts Oftentimes that's associated with what, Babesia. Night sweats are very common with a Babesia, which is a co-infection of Lyme disease. When you're bit by a tick, as Rich noted, it can have up to 200 different pathogens, not just Lyme disease in it, right? Babesia is an extremely common one. And a, a hallmark symptom is night sweats and these, you know, sweat outbreaks. So if you haven't been tested for that, I highly would encourage you and everybody else listening to get the full tick-borne disease panel, not just Lyme, but everything, or Lickia, Babesia, Anaplasma, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, to see if you have any antibody markers for that. And um, that does require a different type of treatment than doxycycline. So that's just another note, right? That hope that based on your symptomology, your doctor should have picked up on and share with you. But again, unfortunately, I think you were just failed in so many ways by your doctor. And I'm sorry for that. But let's go to, you're done with the three weeks. You're still feeling like crap. You know, do you fire this doctor? What do you, what do you do? And, and what are you doing next to feel better? Um, so yeah, I, I don't see the doctor because he, he really wants to treat autoimmune. He doesn't want to treat Lyme. He doesn't want to acknowledge it. That's fine. You know? Um, so then I meet a woman and that her, she's like, you've got to call my sister. She saved my niece. And I was like, oh my goodness, this woman called me in the middle of, I was at a gala. She called me like on the phone was like, I got to talk to you. I got to help you. And this is when I started taking a slew of, um, you know, different vitamins and different, 
you know, holistic medicine and whatnot. Like herbs and supplements, right? More natural herb-based medicine, right? And she was like, let me tell you, my daughter was told, she had a seven-year-old daughter at the time and was told that her daughter was, had psychological problems and that she needed to be put away kind of situation. And the mom's like, no, she had a tick on her. It's this, and this is many moons ago. So they weren't really taking it seriously. So this mother advocated strongly was like, and I'm going to help you feel better. And I was like, at this point, I'll do anything. And that's when I started taking the herbal supplements, et cetera, that did, I mean, I can talk to you right now and remember who you are. So it's like, it does help enormously. I mean, you're remembering that I'm Matt and that, that rich is rich, right? So that's a huge improvement just in itself. So, I mean, our, our stories align very much. I, I went the antibiotic route and then I pivoted to the herbal route and had much more success with the herbal route than the antibiotic route. And again, this was because of just networking and people giving me guidance and recommendations. And I was so desperate. I was not an herbal person. If you told me 10 years ago, I'd be, I'll never take herbs to treat. I want to I'll give me something from the pharmacy. But here I am today, right? They've changed my life. Now, and do you recall what specific herbs you're on? Or do you, can you give us some, you know, even just some basic information about what the regimen is that you're on herbally? Yeah, I take cloves, walnut hall. Um, it starts with an E. Um, Echinacea. Echinacea, yeah. Yes, and then I take uh, lumbarust. I don't even know how to say it. L-U-M-B-R-O. It's some kind of, um, oh my God, I can't think right now. It's It helps clean out the system. It's amazing. And like a detox. So it helps, detox, it's more yeah. of a detox. And if you read about it, they actually use it same. I'm so sorry, I can't remember the name of it. The herbal, they use it for people who've taken cancer treatments when they do their chemo because it helps clean out everything, all those toxins and stuff. It's amazing. It is, I mean- Sorry. Yeah, I just think I think you're, you're you're touching on a really important part here that it's not just kill the Lyme bacteria, right, which was what Doxy did. And it, it made your body even more toxic and made you even more sick, right? That's an important piece of the healing journey. But now herbally, you're doing herbal antimicrobials, which kill not only Lyme, but other bacteria and viruses in your body naturally. You're doing natural detox herbs and supplements that help your body flush, th flush these things out of you as they're getting killed off. So you don't get toxic and they don't float around and recirculate in your body, the, the dead toxins. And you're also addressing on your mindset as well, because I know earlier you said that this became an emotional piece to it as well and a mental piece to it as well. So can you touch on that, what you're doing? Because I know for me, I had to really focus on, you know, of having, and people get so mad when they hear this earlier on, but having a good mindset, because if you don't, if you don't believe you can heal, you're not going to heal. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying you're going to wish your health back, but if you don't believe you can get better, you're never going to take steps to make yourself better. So it's the mindset that I can get better, which will trigger the actions to get you better is what I'm saying, right? So can you just describe for us how, how and if that was relevant for you as well? Yeah, so 100%. I mean, I've always been a positive thinker um, because I, I believe, you know, everything has a positive side. So when I became ill, all I kept on saying was, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I think if my husband heard that one more time, he was going to literally, like, his head was going to blow up. I mean, he was like, that's all you say is I don't feel good. And I was so tired of telling myself I didn't feel good that I was like, I need to reframe this and I need to tell myself I'm going to feel better. And that's where I got inspiration to from looking up things and seeing people's journeys and how I came across your podcast and other people who said, I feel better. And I was like, oh my God, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I started to find different practices for me, which was meditation, which was just taking, like I said, in a moment, kind of just doing an overall check and being like, okay, you know what? I have a vessel. I'm alive. I'm going to get through this. And it was finding the pageant, to be honest, the journey through the pageant gave me a place and a space to feel good. So even while I'm competing, I know I don't feel good. 
But I told myself, you're amazing. You're going to do amazing things. And you're going to use your voice to help so many people and children who don't have resources, who don't have a voice and don't know what the heck is going on with their body and their mind. So it's literally just putting yourself in a place in a space and creating a safe, you know, moment for yourself to be like, I can do this. And there is hope. I didn't get a diagnosis where tomorrow I'm going to be in hospice. Like we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this and we're going to have a bigger voice and a bigger place in space to talk about it. So, you know, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that Rich and I are men of faith. And I have to say, I mean, the fact that, you know, you said we couldn't agree more that you are amazing. Right. But what's even more amazing about you, Anne, is the fact that you were in the throes of it. You were all these symptoms. I mean, brain fog, you know, personality changes, physical, emotional symptoms that were all correlated to tick-borne illnesses and Lyme disease. And yet last June, you won Miss New Jersey Earth. And then this January, you won, you know, you won Miss USA Earth. So you did all this while being so sick, right? I mean, that is just an amazing, amazing accomplishment that I don't want to lose sight of on this podcast. But I have to say that I think all of this is going to be used for the betterment of society because of what you're doing. And I'm touch. And now I'm kind of stepping on Rich's turf here. This is his part of the story. And I, but it's just so beautiful to me. And I never get this excited about the transformation part, but to see where you are and how you've become what you've become and how passionate and cold you are to help and give back to this community. We know that you're going to make significant change in this community you know, that that we couldn't simply do without you, right? So we are so grateful for you and we're grateful for you to be fighting for this community and advocating for this community because it's desperately needed. And, and I just want to say thank you and take a second to step back and to thank you before Rich picks up to go on to your transformation. I already stepped on his toes and I'm sorry, Rich. Well, thank you. So now that Matt has, uh, has of course, overstepped his boundaries and, uh, and, and gave everybody the, you know, the, the opportunity to begin to cry about the beauty of this journey, because, you know, I, I always like to talk about the, the transformation because I, I never want the podcast to end on, on just a discussion of the suffering, because there is a lot of suffering and, 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 and we're so sorry that you've had to suffer so much you know, triggered by your dad passing and then ultimately your health declining to the point where you became chronically ill. It was just a terrible, terrible suffering that that you and, and, and no one else in the world deserves. But it, but there is a beautiful piece of this, right? Because it puts you in a position where, um, where you were able to dig deep. You were able to find this special kind of grit that you had. Um, you were able to manage parenting and uh, and and in your career and and work with your husband and healing and ultimately funnel that all into a place where you could now use this as 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 an opportunity to first share with the folks in the Jersey pageant, then in the national pageant, and now you have this platform that you can use to share this experience with the world. So talk about that journey and how. Uh, but for Lyme disease, you wouldn't be in the position where you are now, where you are now, you know, a nationally recognized figure, and you would not have had the platform that you can now use to advocate for patients, for parents, and for children. You know, finding that you're resilient is, it's hard because you've, you've got to go through it. You've got to be in the trenches. You have to be in those moments where they're awful and you're not pretty. You don't look like a beauty queen and you don't act like a beauty queen and you look pretty damn scary. Um, and you feel the same way. You know, I felt like disgusting and gross and kind of like a zombie and to take the transformation. It took my, it took my mental health. It really did to tell myself and get yourself together, reframe this because you got a lot to do. 
And I told that stupid tick, I'm like, you bit the wrong chick because I'm not going down. Like you may, you know, push me down for a little bit. I was like, but I wasn't born to be, you know, to fall into, you know, being stuck in bed. I was like, I have work to do and I have things to do. And you might've put me in a position where I couldn't do them at the time. But I think that's what gave me the most, it fueled my fire. It fueled me to go out there. I mean, I felt awful at Mrs. New Jersey pageant. And I remember just like taking moments to like breathe, get back out there, answer your question. And I was like, I have work to do. Um, and then, you know, I didn't know that I had Lyme when I was competing at Mrs. New Jersey. I just knew that I felt awful. So the silver lining was when I did get diagnosed, I thought, oh my God, this is happening to so many people and this is unfair. And I'm strong enough to advocate for myself and I have a large enough voice and I don't listen to people telling me no. So I said, you know, some people don't have that and they don't have the resources and they don't know how to, you know, when something's not right to say, this isn't right, let's talk about this again. And I thought, oh my God, imagine if you're old and you didn't have a resource or a smartphone to look things up and you don't have anybody to help you. Like, this is not okay. So, especially for children, because they don't understand their, when they physically something, they're just like, I don't feel good, but how do you not feel good? And they don't understand that piece of it when they're having, you know, maybe some mental issues going on with them. So this is when I said, this is my journey. This is why I was put where I was put. And this is why I won, why I won, because I want to start a campaign, spray before you play. You know, I want signs everywhere. I want to talk to, I'm very friendly with my local Congress people. I'm very friendly with my local politicians. I'm an advocate of the environment. I thought, oh God, if we can just spray our children and protect them when they go out and play, this can maybe be half the battle, you know, cause we want to enjoy the outdoors. The environment is for all of us to enjoy. It's beautiful. Who doesn't love to go to a park? Who doesn't love to go see the gorgeous trees and go to the ocean? Who doesn't love to go to the Hamptons or the Jersey shore or California? You know, we all belong to enjoy Mother Earth. And if I can do it by just saying, please spray before you play and help getting donations to parks for children to spray themselves before they play, or just talk about what you need to wear and how we can treat your yard. I mean, this is just a conversation that needs to be had. And for people to understand, because I know when I speak to some of these moms, they look at me like I have four eyes because I said, I'm really, really sick. Again, you don't look really, really sick. You're a national beauty queen. Let me tell you why. Um, and like you said, you can't see these little buggers on you. They're nasty. They do what they do. And then here we are. So they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So we need to do something. And that's where I'm here for. I believe that New Jersey is going to have signs all over parks. We're going to have billboards. We're going to be in newspapers. We're going to be in magazines because this is what's happening. And I'm not going to let them say no. I love that. I, I really love that. And, and I think this is an awesome campaign. And I love the theme spray before you play. And we're going to certainly do everything we can to help you to promote your campaign. Uh, but let's assume somebody doesn't doesn't spray before they play. Um, and let's assume your son, um, you know, uh, forgets to spray before he plays. Uh, and he comes in um, after this podcast and he has a thick bite of him. What steps would you take to try to protect your son from suffering the chronic disease that you are managing and have had to manage for a good portion of your life. So Richard, I pray every night that he doesn't get bit because I don't wish this on anyone. Um, and I, I live in fear. I'll be honest with you. I have a little like post-traumatic stress disorder from the outside. And I'm working on that because I want to be part of enjoying the environment. And my son is an advocate outside nature lover. I mean, he is everything you can imagine with somebody who loves nature it's him. I mean, we go and look and hunt for big trees and, you know, we work with our local garden environment. Like we love the outdoors. And I know my little boy sometimes doesn't spray. 
and you should hear me. I mean, I have off in every purse in my car by the doors. And, but of course, children are children, right? They run out, they play, they roll in the dirt. I have a swing set. So I'm an advocate. Let me check your body. And I get his blood drawn, you know, every couple months because I am actually concerned. I'm concerned because if I was so easy for me to get it, who doesn't roll into the dirt? What about my family members? So, you know, yes, it's taking preventative measures, but what if it happens? And yes, he's had a tick on him before. And I didn't know what to do, but I took, I called his pediatrician. I went to the ER. They took the tick. They took it for testing. They gave him the antibiotics. And then I watched for symptoms. And that was on him many moons ago. And because I saw the tick, I saw it, you know, on his leg. For me, I didn't know. I never saw a tick. And I thought you had to have a tick on you or a rash. So now it's just over, like, same thing. I do a check of him. How are you feeling? They look at your body. You know, we're always talking about the symptoms. I know them in and out now. And that's just, I think, I wish everybody would just print them out wherever they live and just to kind of know some signs of it. You know, oh, my kid is having this or he's having some pain. Keep an eye on, like I said, when you go and get your checkup, you have to as a child, you go every, you know, year. I just think it's really important to ask for that test if you can. Um, and then I would love for healthcare to just provide these tests when you go for your checkups because it, you know, ultimately these little ticks are everywhere and they're not nice. So it's just being aware. So, Anne, I know, I know you're a really busy gal with a lot of uh, professional commitments and uh, our time is running out. So I do want to invite you to partner with us and we would like to partner with you. We love your spray before you play campaign. We are going to do everything we can to help you to uh, get the word out. Uh, we're going to also ask you to, uh, while you're advocating for your spray um, before you play campaign, to also encourage folks to take a look at our tick by blueprint. Because if, God forbid, someone does get bitten by a tick, we have come up with a step-by-step -step guide that is free on our website uh, that will be available to the community. So we, you know, between the great work you're doing and and hopefully the work that we've been doing, if we can merge that together, perhaps we can help folks avoid getting tick bites to begin with because they're spraying before they play. And if God forbid they, you know, the either the, the, the spray has worn off, they haven't applied it often enough. If it's not the proper, you know, type of spray for the, you know, for the type of tick or whatever challenge could surface. Then, um, then there are some steps that you can take to protect yourself from getting getting sick, and of course, that will include working with a healthcare provider um, who is Lyme literate. So, and thank you so much for all your advocacy work. Thank you so much for you know sharing your beautiful story for us, and and thank you to your family for sharing you with us. So, thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to your Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, the real Anne Pennington. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Ann Pennington and Mrs. USA Earth 2023, please visit our Instagram page at Real Ann Pennington. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of our Tech Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons at the bottom of our post. Third, Tech Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past guests on this podcast. You are due to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash bite to view your blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on the podcast platform of your choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library for over 350 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.